go. We're rocking and rolling. My buddy Willie's here. Willie, uh, this is your third time on the pod. I was really trying to think about this. First of all, cheers. We got some Miller Lights. I wish we had like the cans so you could actually like hear the opening of the can. Listen, this is the festive Fourth of July yes. label. I know this is good. We got Miller Lights going. Uh, but so this is your third time on the pod. I was thinking like outside of Bo, Kugler, Dirk, Coach McDermott, like. There aren't too many dudes that have that are, are on their third appearance, so it's it's good to have you back. I run into people randomly that that want more Willie on the pod. So we did our Florida vacation pod with the families, then we did your pre fortieth birthday Vegas trip pod, which was fantastic. Right, which we got Vegas coming up again. We do in like is that like in two weeks? Two weeks? Almost? Oh yeah. my god, that's nuts! Uh, by the way, I was gonna say this. So for people that don't know, we were in Vegas. We did the pool. We did a pool party, and then we went to Javier's. And Javier's, everybody was a little drunk. <laughs> it, was, it was hard to kind of corral everybody. But I was going to say, like when we were going to kind of give a speech about you, I was going to say you are the ultimate friend. I was going to talk about how you are. Like the thing about you that people need to understand about you is there's some people, and I – People kind of go through the Rolodex of friends with this. Some people have like the party friend. Like they're they're good. Like I like partying with that guy, but like any other scenario where we're not partying, like mm, I don't know about that guy. You know, then you have like the the advice friend or someone's a friend via like your a couple's friend or whatever. You know, like you are all of those things for me. And like I've had some of the deepest conversations I've ever had with anybody with you. And I trust me when I say I've had some of the dumbest conversations I've ever had in my life with you. So you're all encompassing. That's so here I am, what is it, fourteen months later, but that was what I was gonna say at your at your fortieth birthday there. Let's so man, there you go. Better better late than never. Yes. I'm, I'm the utility friend, right? I can play <laughs> play any position. Yeah, maybe that's it. Uh because you I was thinking about this too. You uh are your lunches so you invite random people to lunch sporadically. And is it it's mostly one on one. Like a couple of weeks ago you and I went to lunch. Is that intentional? Where'd that come from? Like your lunches thing. Uh, well, it's it's intentional now. I don't know that it started out that way. Okay. Um, I'd say in any given month I try to hit three Fridays a different lunch with different people. And uh, I've actually floated around the idea of starting a podcast called Lunch with Strangers. <laughs> but the idea of that is strangers are the people that we know, right? So, like, even the people that you're friends with, you get, especially as you get older. Yes. How much time do you really get That's to spend in one-on-one conversation with them? Right. So, like, yeah, I, I have lots of good friends that I know and like and enjoy spending time with. But I don't get to ask them questions that are thoughtful and heartfelt and really understand what they're thinking about life. Right. And so the idea with that is that one, I just enjoy people. I'm built that way. But two, it's the idea of I want to spend time with the people that I care most about, but really get to have time with them. That's okay. That's an interesting way to put it because like you are your friends, you have history with them. So that doesn't make them a stranger, but it, but what you find out as you get older is you are a stranger with what some of your friends are currently doing, thinking, going through. You, does that make sense? Everybody. Everybody. It, My like, wife. I yeah, say the same like, thing about Amy. It's right. like, yeah, we're married. Nobody knows me better, but she knows about 10%. <laughs> right. But that's an interesting, like, because even, 
me and you see each other a fair amount, but even at like our lunch that we had, like we got into things like current things. Right. That we maybe haven't like in that way, you're breaking new ground for lack of a better term with like talking to someone. So that it, like anybody that is of our age, you're 40 um, or now you're 41. Or do, I'm 41. Oh, wow. You're 41. I'm 39. Uh, you find out that it's you just don't you don't get to like catch up and talk current things with people. Your friends. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. Because even if you're fortunate enough to see each other in like a setting. Um, maybe the wedding comes up or even when we right. go to Vegas, you know, it's like, yeah, you're having a good time and you're having conversations, but those conversations are very like wedding surface level conversations where you're having fun and you're yakking it up and it's all great. Right. But I'm not asking you like, Hey man, what's been like having Marvin? Yeah. Right. Your third kid. Like what's that yeah. experience been like? Right. Like I want to know that. Yeah. I care about that. Right. The only way to do it is to have situations where you can actually sit down and talk to people that's, on a very personal level. That's what is hard. Like at, at wed, there's nothing worse and it, and we're all guilty of it and it is what it is. But like when you run into someone and you're like at a wedding, they're playing, you know, like the Cupid shuffle and someone's like, hi, so how, how you been? What's new? And you're like, really? Like, it's like, I got to go do this Cupid shuffle. Like I got to go do the Cupid shuffle real quick. And the idea that I could give you a what's new answer. So everybody gives the same, you know, like nothing, you know, just same old stuff. Nothing really. Oh, you like, know, man, just busy. Yeah. Just, just busy kids with and kids. Work, kids and work. I know. So it's, but that's smart that. So three Fridays a month, you try to, you try to make it happen. That's good. Yeah. Pretty consistent. That way. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know. I feel like I've had, I've been tumbled a couple of years because of different like things that I've I had get tumbled all the time. I bet you do all I, the time. Are people a little put off by like, Whoa, this guy wants to go to lunch. Like, are people, I bet people are, mo- are excited, but there's some people that are like, what? What is it? Because you rarely go to lunch with people yeah, it's a good in question. general. I mean, like, I don't know. I, me, and, me, me and Hayes, I mean, yeah. my best friend in the world, we go to lunch you know, at least once a month. Right. Um, but I try to just try to reach out and have conversations with, with people. And usually they're accommodating, but everybody thinks they're busier than they are. Yeah. Just make time. It's not that hard to, for 90 minutes, hour, go grab a sandwich, have a real conversation not that hard to do it's all good it's not that hard to do so i have a bunch of stuff i want to throw at you uh it's for people that don't know i wanted to get your thoughts on rule um and then we have some some really stupid stuff at the end that i wanted to touch on with you but what's weird is we didn't spend at our last lunch a lot of time talking about matt rule we spent zero time talking about Matt Rule. But you, so for people that don't know, your job basically kind of centers around leadership and like how to maximize it, whether it be in the business world and you've kind of started to, to dabble into the, the sports world of it. So I'm curious from your from from that vantage point, like what have your impressions been of Rule so far? Because he kind of, I would think, checks a lot of the boxes that you want to see from a leader at least prefacing everything we haven't seen him coach a game you know but like what what have your impressions been of him uh well really good to answer the question directly right but you know i mean we've we've forever you and me and bo and others have gone back and forth about the impact that a coach has where it's player responsibility you get the good players they're the ones that have to make plays which leads to yeah but who's responsible for recruiting the players right there's all sorts of dynamics that go into good coaching. Um, what I like, for, and for context, to your point, like 
our whole body work that I do on a day in day out basis is to measure the impact that coaches or leaders have on their team's performance. And what our research has shown for 15 years, very consistently in business athletics or education is the number one factor is relationship based. Do I have the equity and the relationship with you to ask you to do more than you're capable of yourself? And by default, does that make you want to perform for me? And so what I see rule doing very successfully, or at least early on is immersing himself in the community in team culture, the stuff that they're going to do at the dorms to build relationships where you can overlook things when it gets hard because you have equity and friendships with people and that you can have difficult conversations and ask people to go above and beyond because that doesn't just happen because you're an authoritative figure or you're the coach. And so the things that he's done early on to immerse himself with, uh, the community, with the team, with everything Husker football, uh, is super encouraging to me. And then there's also just a subjective gut feel on it, which is I think there's sometimes coaches say the words, but they come off hollow. Uh-huh. I think he believes the shit that he's saying. I agree. I agree with that. Did you – I mean, because one of the things that was interesting about you is I felt like you were kind of out on Frost earlier than a lot of people were. Like, did you – and I feel like I was probably a little jaded because of the Barrett factor – and I was jaded because I wanted to I didn't want to let go of the story of Frost coming back and all that stuff. Like did you see things early with Frost that were like, ooh, I don't I was out on Frost early because I have a gambling problem. <laughs> right. Right. And and because and because Barrett was the coach. Yeah. So I had watched all of those Central Florida games. And the thing that was a huge red flag to me was three or four plays go differently that year. They're nine and three. Right. And so they caught lightning in a bottle. They obviously did a lot of things right, but a lot of their games were really sloppy, really undisciplined, and they just out-talented people. And right. so I was thrilled that Barrett was coming back to Lincoln because that's a boon yeah, he's for one all of us, yeah, one of right. our best friends. But the red flag for me was coming out of the Riley era, I felt like Nebraska football was a total rebuild. And I just didn't think that that was what Frost was going to do. And then the fact that he got carte blanche to bring his entire staff with him. I mean, Barrett included in this. It's like there was a lot of non-Power 5 experience that was coming right. into an established league, and that was a problem. And so I would have rather have made a run at Chris Peterson, for example. Um, that being said, I was still excited because he was the hot ticket. He was Scott Frost. Everybody has nostalgia and emotion around that. Right. And unfortunately, it it didn't work. See, you know what's crazy though is like, because the one thing you could say the same thing about rule staff. It's like that. That's probably one of the questions we have, and we can get into it now. I guess as we're kind of, I'm already like off script here on what I wanted to kind of how I wanted to do this. But like, w- w- I asked you a question to kind of prep for of like, if rule fails, it will be because of blank. One of the things, the first things I wrote down was his staff. Like, his staff is arguably just as inexperienced, maybe even more inexperienced as it pertains to Power 5. Now, it's an interesting case of, like, does it change because you have a different dude leading that staff? But I'm worried about that. Not as much – this isn't as much a coordinator thing as it is a position coach thing. Yeah. Well, I think it's a good point. Maybe I'm less concerned about that simply because he was able to do it 
in previous lives, right, at two other universities. Yeah. And so his there there seems to be a method to his madness, but maybe maybe that makes me a hypocrite. I don't well, know. I I know I I don't know if it does or not. I just well, how would you when the if he fails, what do you think it would be? Can you conjure what, up anything? Uh, I wrote down that, and then I wrote down, and this is where, like, he's actually, I'm not sure if you saw, we're taping this on, a, what is today, is it Wednesday? Uh, uh, June 28th. He just landed the Carter Nelson kid out of uh, Ainsworth, the four-star tight end. Like, he's actually, like, I think he's got, like, a top 15 class going now. But, like, the one thing, so this kind of doesn't jive with that, but it's something he talked about. He I the other thing I wrote down is can you be a developmental program in 2023, which is what he said he wants to be. I don't know if that how that works. Well, again, I'm gonna, I'm going to lean back on research, right? So I think uh, success and failure hinge deeply on his ability to build really strong relationships across the board. Uh, starting with his assistant coaches yep. to help them be able to develop the relationships with players, both existing and recruiting, right? I, and I think the relationship with fans, the relationship with admin at all, I think that that's he has to mend some bridges that have been burned right, to get this back on track. And I think that he's doing a really good job, at least everything that I see and read. Um, part of the reason that you would fail then is if you don't do that correctly as well. My biggest opinion, and this is kind of contrary to the first point, is if he fails, I believe he wasn't successful at recruiting and developing elite offensive and defensive line talent. Okay. And that's just my 1,000% subjective opinion on where college football is at with the portal. Right. Like, if you want to win, especially in the Big Ten and the SEC. I think anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. You better be elite on both sides of the line. With the transfer portal, you can bring in skill position players, maybe right. quarterback aside, right? Because quarterback's always super important. But even like Casey Thompson was in the portal. Right. And, like, you know, there's like, always players. If you get that line right on both sides of the ball, everybody's going to look good. And so can you recruit and good build relationships and develop both sides of the trenches? A great answer. That's probably the better Get that answer. right, and then we can handle the Big Ten. If you can handle the Big Ten, then you, at least you get a seat at the table right. of, the, of the tourney. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because you're not – it's hard to build an offensive and defensive line in the portal. Like people just don't do that. Well, there's so, a reason you're in the portal. Yeah, right. No, no question. I th- okay, how would you? If rule succeeds, it will be, be it will be because of relationships. Okay, across the board. Right. He does seem. I wrote down attention to detail, and I wrote, and this is kind of I put. I wrote down attention to detail, both tangible and intangible. I think he has an ability to recognize the intangible needs of a relationship. Kind of what you're so hitting on what you talked about. He's got a, a natural sense of that. But then he also, I think, has the ability to recognize, okay, and he's talked about this, like what wins at Nebraska tangibly and then figuring that out. I just think he's a detailed, he's a detailed relationship dude. I, I think what he seems to get better than other people, and this is why he's had success building programs from shit into mm-hmm. you know elite programs, is that it's the sum of the parts. It's everything. It's not one thing. It's everything. And he seems to address that very well. Yeah. He seems like he's like, and this is a part of of being a leader. It's like he has a plan and he's sure of himself. Like there's no, but there's also a, a dose of humility to him where he's just, where like he's not arrogant about it either. 
Right. Well, in, in I can't remember the exact clip that you and I had watched where he, I mean, he exhibits that. Right. He, he, he's very grateful for the fact that he gets to follow up legends that have been here before. He's grateful for the experience of the failure that happened at Carolina. Right. It's like, and that's part of the reason I'm excited about him because he's coming off of a complete failure. So he has to rebuild yeah. reputation. There's a fire under him that wants to get it right. Right. And there's a big difference between the college and pro game. I think he will. Yeah. I it it's uh I uh I feel great about him. It hasn't spilled over into next year yet for me. Does that make sense? Like Yeah, I, that's cuz we I mean we just gotten That's what I'm saying, but like it's it's uh you would think like I'm like all in on him right now, which I really kind of to be full disclosure, I was a little lukewarm on him initially, but I don't know, the dude is has so far batted a thousand since he's arrived. What here. was it specifically in your mind that like changed that from announcement of hire to yeah where you're at now, where you haven't really done anything? Just, Although the recruiting stuff's been positive. yeah, and even the recruiting stuff aside, like it's good. I mean, I think like he seemingly kind of flipped the in-state thing overnight. I think a lot of that helps. You got the Bell West quarterback, and like you know, I mean, a quarterback is just different. It has different ramifications when you land a guy in state than they, then like there's been a, there's been momentum there for the first time. Uh, I just think listening to, I don't have a great answer for you. It's just like, it's, it's more of like a daily element of listening and observing. The guy has, has struck the right tone. He's been about, been about the right things. Uh, he just, again, he, he clearly, has a plan. He's confident in it, and I like kind of the direction of the of of how he's building his relationships with people. Um, so it's more of just like a gut feel observing him than it is any like one major quality or thing that I've seen. Yeah, that makes sense. The totality of it, if you will. I, I did. It was. I, I wanted to have some fun. So we when we were in Florida. We recorded a pod, and I, I wanted to see if I still had that document. When was that? Like, was that two years ago? It was two years ago. So it would have been heading into Frost year four. And two of the questions I wrote down were, what is this a, a successful season? And beyond just winning games, what's the number one thing on your list of something you want to see improve this year? I thought it'd be kind of funny to just revisit that with, like, new... So here's rule. We'll just ask those two broad questions I'm a hypocrite with my answer to the first one, but I want to hear your answer to what is a successful season? Year one under Matt Rule, what is it to you? Well, I suppose it's the exact same as I answered it then, which is you got to make a bowl game. Yeah, that's what I wrote down. Especially considering what's coming down in 24-25 from a schedule standpoint. Yeah. And maybe that's unfair, maybe that's not, but like to get everybody fired up and to rejuvenate where we're at, I just think you have to go to a bowl game this year. You know what's weird? Because that's what I wrote down. But sometimes I think I'm hypocritical with that because, like, I'm the same guy that poo-poos bowl games sometimes. But there's this weird thing of, like, six wins. And, like, if you go six and six, that somehow puts you in a different area in your head than five and seven. But I think it's got to be true on some level. Well, I mean, when's the last time we went to a bowl? It was 2016. That's seven years. Yeah, I mean that's yeah, like, embarrassing. So, so that's the, the it hasn't happened since 2016, 
And at some point, well, you got to give like rule a chance to rebuild this thing. Like at some point, like winning has to start mattering again. Like you got to win games. And to me, getting to a bowl game, like it's a, it's lame. It's an it's like a low hanging fruit to point to. But to me, it's like if they go six and six and go to a bowl game, I I I'm gonna have a hard time feeling like oh, I don't think this season was very good. It's low hanging fruit, and it's not. I mean, seven years is still seven years, right? And what gives me hope there is that, I mean, the the, the stuff that happened during the Frost era, as miserable as we were, we still pissed away so many games we could have won just by having a different I, philosophy or a different level of discipline. Both Colorado games, Northwestern game, the Michigan State game, there's so many games that we just gave away because of either hubris or just lack of discipline. Okay. Because I completely agree. And you would think because Frost is no longer here, you don't have to like cling to this anymore. But you can't convince me otherwise. Like, I I get you are what your record says you are, but I will go to the death thinking the team two years ago that went three and nine was a good team. The, the team with JoJo <laughs> well, Doman. The, like, they were I, a good You team. can't convince me otherwise. Like, they were driving to beat Michigan. That was, we. I mean, I can't believe we're fucking talking about this again. You, but know, like, that, you know what that you was? Can't, That's just like the, the, there's been a couple of uh, Iowa teams that do this. Every year they go ten right. and two, and you're like, "That is a miserable team." Right? How did they get to be ten and two? And were they like the, the complete? They're uh, the bizarre world yeah, of that. Bizarre world. We're three and nine, and this team's actually really good. You can't convince me otherwise. I saw them. I mean, we were in Vegas for the Michigan State shank punt. Should have beat Michigan State. They ruined dry, our whole night. Ruined everything. Literally ruined the Vegas trip in some ways. I still loved that we were there, but it still it ruined that. Literally, it ruined the night. For sure. The night we were at the lamest Vegas night in the world. Bo was like, I think I just got to go walk. Bo went I'm, I think I'm just going to take a walk on Bo the Bo went for a walk and ate like a salad in Las Vegas, <laughs> which is ridiculous. But that's what happens with Nebraska football when you're that emotionally invested in it. But, but okay, so this ties in it beyond just winning games. What's the number one thing on your list of something you want to see improve this year? I think it's what we're talking about of like, I wrote down, I'm not saying you got to go win every close game because if you do that, you're going to be like, have a really good year and I'm not anticipating that but I just want to see I'll be so fascinated and it could happen right away with Minnesota and Colorado like what does a different head coach do to the psyche the psychology the management the whatever of that first time of here we go five minutes left it's 23 20 Nebraska's got the ball like I want to see progress in that department of because there's a what's the saying of like uh, more games are lost than won, and I actually think that's more true than you think. And I think Nebraska was the poster child for that. Like I want to see like if Nebraska gets beat, they got beat. They didn't beat themselves. So yeah. I want to see like progress there. That's the number one thing I'm looking for. Yeah, I think that's right. I'd answer similarly, right? Like. Uh... I suppose what I'm looking for there said differently, but similar to what you just said is uh, identity. Okay. I want to understand what we're going to be. I'm just excited to see that. I don't know. I think that could change. By I, I think it, well, I think it will. Cause Kaylin, the kid from Bell West is different than Sims. Well, and I hope that, so, it, I hope that it does, but right. ident identity can mean a lot of different things. Like, right. You know, I'm, I'm still, 
I, as much as I say, like I'm tr- starting to like emotionally move past Nebraska football because of life circumstances and yeah. our losing, like it still frustrates me that in that first Colorado game, when we got the pick that we didn't just run the ball three times, yeah, ice the clock and win the game. Yeah. Instead, Martinez instead threw it. Instead, It and- was like, we are who we are. You got to stop us. Like, well, yeah, but they, like, it, the risk reward in that scenario is atrocious. Yeah. Just run the ball, get a first down and win the game or right. punt and win the game. Right. It's fine. So I want to see like how rule operates that way, right? Because there's going to be those little, the, it's the it's the beauty of coaching, and it's one of the things that I actually, it's not the funnest thing I get to do because it's like it's kind of awkward to do. But every year, almost every year now for about five years, there's an all access game for on FS1 where both coaches are mic'd up for college basketball, and usually me and Kugler do the game. And we basically lay out the whole game, but I kind of have about my job in that game is I have about 30 seconds coming out of the timeouts to decipher what was just said in the timeouts. Right. Right. Like, hey, uh, Sean Miller was talking about, you know, what he wanted to see against the zone and Greg McDermott was talking about blah, 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 blah. But one of the things that I love about that is it shows about that broadcast is it shows all the decisions that a coach has to make just in one game. I mean, you're making hundreds and hundreds of decisions. And some carry greater weight than others, but I cannot wait till that first, because it's going to come, that first big decision from Matt Rule, or even big philosophical, like, what's your philosophy here? Kind of what you're talking about. Like, I can't wait to see what that looks like for Rule. No doubt. Well, and you know that I'm fascinated by that, because how many times have you heard me say, like, the the amount of money and game the amount of money that goes into athletics is immense and the amount of money that they pay coaches is through the roof how many times are games won and lost on clock management yeah and the reason they are is because coaches have a million things going on right and they're not paying attention to the intimate details of why that works and so that's why you see teams with like a Peyton Manning or a Tom Brady uh, those rare quarterbacks that are basically running the game themselves they're the only ones that are good at clock management right or or this is where rules good or they're the coaches and not every coach is like this but they're the coaches that aren't an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator so they're 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 they're, they're, they're managing the game right like, I think P.J. Flex really good at this. He's not calling plays, but he's really fucking good at the pulse of the game, when to go for it, when to punt, when to run a trick play, when we need to eat clock. Like, I think Flex really good he's at that. Because he's allowing himself to coach the game as if he's an observer of the game. Yes. Like, and so this is where I think rule, like the thought of rule like you got Tony White, you got Marcus Satterfield calling the plays and rule. Think about rule observing the game. Like I feel good about that. Like you talk about your pilot, like Matt Rule coming, like this is your pilot speaking here. We are uh, in four minute offense. We're going to run some clock here. Like I feel confident in what like he's going to be guiding. Like we're going to get some turbulence. We're going to turn the fastest seatbelt sign on here. Uh, you know, like I feel good about him in that spot, right? But like Frost, like Frost is your captain. It was like, uh, we just scored to go up uh, two scores. We're gonna onside kick it here. You're like, holy fucking shit, <laughs> you know. But so I, I am excited about uh, him doing that. But but it's just I can't wait to see what because these we got are we coming. got Houston here saying that we probably shouldn't land this thing right now. But we're gonna go ahead and disregard that. 
So uh, buckle, buckle your seatbelts. We're going to Mr. Control has told us to just run the clock and uh, and run the ball, but we're going to say, uh, fuck that shit, and we're going to throw the ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. that's that, that was Frost. But Rule, I feel like, is going to be... Now, but Rule also is not like... Rule doesn't strike me as Mr. Conservative either. You know, like, there'll be times I feel like Rule will be willing to, like, get aggressive with something or... But not be... But it'll be calculated. Sure, because every situation is different. Yes, and it like, lends itself. Like you can Frost, have an identity. I feel like Frost's reason was like, well, this is... Why'd you do that? Because that's what we do. And it's like, well... Okay. Right. Well, like, I don't, like, try, I don't trust somebody who's like... I'm going to be on a weight. I'm going to be on a fitness program, right? I'm going to lose a lot of weight. I'm going to get in shape. And that means at all fucking costs. So right. once out of six months, I'm going to be at a birthday party with a bunch of people and they're having really good ice cream. Nope. Can't do it. It's like, I don't trust that person. <laughs> you would. So One situationally. Time, situational. Yeah, right. Right. Eat the ice cream. I thought that's just, <laughs> what an analogy. That's so good. Uh, what okay? Last the question that I asked you in Florida two years ago: Which player are you most excited to watch this year? I wrote down two. I mean, is the easy one Sims, the QB? I mean, QBs well, are QBs always, just, always the easiest. Yeah. My honest, the, there's an honesty factor to this question, which is, I continue as much as I care and as much as I love it, I continue to get further and further yeah, away. Yeah, I was from wondering. I was like, does Willie Clefcorn know? Can you like? Do you know the roster well enough? Not that I'm not trying I, to take yeah, shots. Yeah, yeah, like, no, no, no. I do. I I know it well enough. But I don't know it like I used to, oh, yeah. which makes me feel like I don't know it well enough. Like, right. I know way more like Premier League soccer players right now than I than do Nebraska Husker football players, football right. players because right. of my, that's what my son loves. Sure, I would probably say uh, Thomas Fedoni. I wrote him down. What is it about that guy? Uh, probably the hype that he came he was with. A number one fucking tight end in the well, country and, in twenty twenty one, and a really good tight end. This is disruptive as hell. What? And the way that I understand how we're going to run the offense with Sims, yeah. If you have that. Andy. Guy that's a safety net and that can get off the line and just beat people, block and be an outlet. Like that's a huge advantage. I watched his high school highlights again this afternoon, and I was just blown away. Like he For is sure. a man child, and it's. I wrote down Sims and Fedoni. It's funny, like it's Sims is obvious. I mean, the quarterback's like an obvious. Of course, you were excited to see what he looks like, but Fedoni, and you kind of need. Nebraska needs someone there. My other guy in the same my other guy in the same vein as Fedoni for different reasons is Xavier Betts. Yeah. Right? Like I just want to see both of those guys succeed. Yeah. Because of they seem like to be good people that are overcoming things. Right. Uh injury or otherwise. But also both of them have keys to the car that we need. And both those guys, like, now, it's hard. I mean, bets I know for sure, but Fedoni, I mean, you don't get the number one tight end in the country for no reason at all. But, like, bets did some shit that, like, you could make a, you could make an argument that if he if he gets his head on straight, he's the most talented wide receiver Nebraska has. Right, and we need that right now. Yeah, fuck yeah, you do. Right? You know? I mean. Yes, you do. I listened to what podcast was it that you were talking about? I think you broke down uh, Sims's passing percentages. Yeah. Right. You were talking about that. Yep. And I think that that matters. I also think that can be really misrepresentative based totally on how things are. But he's going to need Betts. He's going to need Fedoni. He's going to need Kemp. Right. Like, yeah. if those guys are what they are, then we're going to be a problem because he can run. And yeah. the fact that we're going to run him. I love it. Like the, fa- I, the one of the things that drove me nuts about how we utilized Adrian Martinez, and I get it because he was like all we had in the right. stable. 
but he was so reluctant to just take that six yards. Just, yeah. You know how frustrating that is for a defense? Right. Where you do yeah. everything right. Right. It doesn't matter if it's like third and, and, now it's second third and, and six. Third and six, he got seven. Right. Or it was second and nine, and he got six. Right. It's like that changes the entire game, but he was always more apt to throw than he was to just go take the yards. And it right. sounds like Sims, they're going to let him go. I would think so. I, w- I would think so. Uh, but, yeah, I can't. Fedoni, I can't quit that guy. I'm pumped. About, I'm pumped to watch that guy play. Uh, okay, as we're hammering through this stuff, you sent me, you and our buddy Prosco, you sent a you sent a text to us, and it was a quote from Rule, and you tied it back to an argument that we've had for years about how fans and their impact on Nebraska football, maybe to the negative, and some ways which is it you know that's good luck with that good luck good luck fighting that battle um but so i read i'll read the quote uh from rule that you sent it to me because we've actually talked about this i wrote i think we hit on it in florida but time as time has gone on i have some other thoughts on it but so rule said and this was around in like spring ball he said what i know is the fans are going to show up next year no matter what and that scares me he went on to say a bunch of other stuff. That was like one little quote in like a two-minute thing. But I think that was the 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 main meat of what you picked out and sent to, to me and Prosco. The fans are going to show up no matter what, and that scares me. What can you – how do you unpack that for what – because you said it, you were like, this is kind of what I've been talking about with the fans. Yeah, well – <clears throat> As we're on Miller Lite number, you're on. I mean, we're, I've had two, couple. Yes. Uh, how I unpack that, and I think I may have said this when we uh, were on the Florida pod, but it bothered me as a lifelong Cubs fan that the Tribune owned the Cubs because they got very uh, satisfied with the fact that they're you know the friendly confines. You're going to have 35,000 or whatever it is that are going to come and drink old styles and cheer on the team, and it feels like a success. Right. And I think that there's a, a semblance of truth to that. I think in the – I have no idea exactly what Matt Rule meant by that comment. What I think he meant was it's hard to be hungry. It's hard to be focused when everybody's telling you you're great. And when you have lost – six straight games and haven't made a bowl game for seven years and you still got people there telling you how much they love you. It's nice to have the fan support because if you said many times like, well, what's the alternative? Yeah. That's no fan support. Right. At the same time, I also think that it's, uh, I don't know what the right words are. It's, it's placating to something that isn't real. Like, mm-hmm. why why are you putting Nebraska football on a pedestal if you're a Nebraska fan when we constantly underachieve? So to his point, get to work, play football, do the behaviors, the get activities yeah. that earn that type of fandom. Yes. I think is what he's saying. I, I agree because as much as I still, like if, you know, you put me on the, on the, under oath and I got to like, give the truth. I still say like, listen, man, like Nebraska football fans are like that without them, this program is fucking toast. Okay. But I can understand which here's what I, how I interpreted it. And it's funny to hear a, a certain person like rules say it. 
how I interpreted it is like, I can understand how the fans are going to show up no matter what next year. And that scares me. I interpret that as like when you're a leader or someone in charge of people that are, you're leading them, which are your players in this situation, when they are going to get rewarded and treated great, no matter what, that's problematic. Where like the analogy I had was literally like two or three days ago, my daughter Mava needed to finish her dinner before we got ice cream. Went to High V. We got ice cream. She was all excited about the new ice cream, but she had to eat her dinner so she could have the ice cream. And she was just we were fighting about it. And I was like, God, just all you got to do, you got to. I'm not going to reward you not eating dinner by giving you this ice cream. And I know that's a that's not an apples to apples, but it's like I'm in charge. I know there is behavior and an action that needs to take place for you to be rewarded with something. And if I, once, it's hard, like I thought to myself, like if I just give her the mint chip ice cream and she doesn't doesn't do anything that I'm asking her to do, that's like, that can snowball in a way that isn't good. And so for me, I think that's what he's he's getting at where it's like, you can create this false idea of accomplishment from the players and even the fans to a certain degree where everybody's living in this false reality where, like, in some ways, Nebraska football still feels like Nebraska football. You go to on a Saturday, it's packed, the tunnel walk hits, you're eating a runza, you're eating a February hot dog. It all feels the same, but it's not the same yeah. in terms of the result. Well, I'll give, you, I'll give you the perfect example of that. Like, I always say the, the greatest gift that kids, being a, a parent, gives you is that kids – are so unfiltered right. that they're able to teach you things that you forgot uh, because they see it through a totally different lens. But I took, I mean, I've been taking Jackson's 11, right? I've been taking him to games since he was three. Yeah. And we went to the, the Michigan game. Uh, when was that? A couple years back yeah. where Martinez fumbled at the yeah. end. That environment was absolutely night game nuts. Yeah, right. Like when the crowds stood up and started chanting "Sit down, Jim." Like, yeah, Jackson liked that a little, oh, yeah. a little bit too much for my liking. Like, right. Yeah, he was into the game, but that game ended in a loss, of course. And we're walking back, and he's so fired up that he talks the entire way back to the car and the entire drive home. And then when I put him to bed that night, he's laying down and he leans over and he says, "Dad, I finally get it." I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, I finally understand why you like this so much. That's game like interesting. That's game like eleven. Right. That he's been to. Not right. not counting like the games that you watch at yeah, neighbors' houses yeah. or families where you're, you know, doing the potluck and having a good time and, and hamming it up. Right. Like that was the first time he was able to like connect the dots into holy cow, like this is really fun and exciting. I now understand why you care so much about this. Because if I could have this on a regular basis, I'd be all in. Right. But if we're going to show up and play Melvin Gordon in Wisconsin, like I'm out. Right. Right. And so, but Nebraska fans, they show up unconditionally, which is, which is so cool. And so admirable, but at the same time, it's confusing, but it's also given it is, it is me giving Mava mint chip ice cream. If she doesn't eat dinner. Yeah. It kind of is. And again, I'm not sitting here like trying to chastise Johnny from, you know, Norfolk and Billy from Scott's Bluff on like, give up your season tickets. You're doing the program a favor. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying like even Matt Rule himself said it. The fans are going to show up next year no matter what. And that scares me because it's kind of like to me, that's almost to be like, guys, 
I mean, to me, that's almost Matt Rule going to the players and be like, guys, look at me. Don't fool yourself. You guys have sucked. Like, that's a... Like, do not get it twisted. Yes, 90,000 people are here. Yes, you're going to do the tunnel walk. It's going to be amazing. Yes, you're going to get treated amazing. But, like, you guys have lost. And he has been kind of like... He's even been quoted and said, like, we need to understand we're still a 4-8 and eight football team. We got to get good at football. And these are the kind of things... I didn't have a great answer for you earlier on, like, what is kind of, like, made me turn the corner on him. It's like the culmination of these kinds of things where I'm like, okay, he gets, like... The, the 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 deeper part of of what that is like for how you're kind of coaching players in that spot but I don't know like again I'm still gonna always side with like when the alternative is apathy trust me I've been to DePaul basketball games and stuff I'm like you don't want that okay right. you, you you really you don't want that you think you want that you don't want that but I can understand what rule is saying in like these fans are gonna show up no matter what and that scares me but I think that, but to me that speaks to him seeing the sum of the parts and how yeah. this plays together, right? The same reason that he's right. pulling everybody together to live in the dorms for two weeks. Yes. It's like he understands that, yeah, there's execution. Yes, there's X's and O's and there's philosophies. But I also have to take a step back and help people understand like what the purpose is, what the why is, how to relate from a defensive back to a wide receiver, to an O lineman, to a kicker. Like if we can get everybody on board and rowing in the same direction, it's weird how things will start to play themselves out in your favor. And to me, that's super encouraging given what's happened in Nebraska over the past I don't know, 15 years, but especially the Frost era, where it's kind of like if you have a toddler and they start their day off bad, their day steamrolls steamrolls into bullshit all day long. It's like (laughs) one bad thing after a bad thing, and that's just energy. And I can get a little bit kooky in this type of philosophy, but I also think that it's real, where it's like if success breeds success, optimism breeds optimism. If you can get these guys buying in and getting on the same page and have one break – go your way as opposed to one break not going your way that can change the whole trajectory of a game of a season that's what i'm hoping you know the first two games of the year present such interesting opportunities for things to snowball to the good how do you mean how do you feel about the minnesota game not good i don't either but i feel like we're gonna <laughs> kick the shit out of colorado oh i do too i i feel good i, I don't think that team's gonna be very good at all I, mean, I don't like PJ Fleck, but I think what he—I think he's got I, something. Yeah. Oh, he's definitely got a little something going. But the, but the first—but they games, lose a lot of key parts. Yes. Oh, for sure. But the, those two games present opportunities to like, like kick this thing up up a gear here and really and really kind of propel things forward in a positive way. Right. So we also got to look at that through a lens of like subjectivity. Right. Because even when we when was what year was it when Riley won? We started off like seven and zero. And even we could have, and we could have beat Wisconsin in yeah, that game in yeah. overtime, right? Yeah. Like, like even that whole time, that was that was our proverbial Iowa season. I know it was like it's like we're not good, but like, like it keeps working out good. for us. I know, but I, yeah, it, it just would be nice to see. It, I, I, you know what? I'd kill for that season again. I would too. I'd take you it. know. Fuck. Okay, enough Husker football talk. Let's have some fun with some other stuff as we wrap this thing up. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're thinking about Vegas. Me and you, so people don't know, like we, me and you, sometimes latch onto things, and me think we think repetitive humor is funny, but like, so we, the movie Moneyball between me and you is kind of like a, a thing, and you know we maybe had a couple of beers and 
by a couple. I mean, a lot. Maybe. We sat, maybe. We, we sat at a blackjack table for two hours and just gave nothing but Moneyball quotes after every single card that came out. But what is, what is it about the movie Moneyball? Because you know me. I'm not even a baseball guy. But I'm not so sure that at this point... I can't sit here and say it's my favorite sports movie, but I'll tell you this: every sports movie's on. Like I go on, I turn on the TV; they're all on. The one that's going to grab me and suck me in, even though I've seen it fifty times more than Hoosiers, than He Got Game, than Remember the Titans, or fill in the blank of whatever any other sports movie. It's Moneyball. What is it about that movie? Okay, well, <laughs> well, first of all, I'm going to throw the question back to you. Okay. And con- contextually, we are so... Ob- I always felt like at blackjack tables, you're either in or you're out on the energy of the table. Yeah. And if you're out on the energy of the table, whether it's the other participants or the dealer, you just need to walk away. Just just, just get up and walk up away. And Game's over because you're going right. to lose, right? right? We, for whatever reason, latched on to Moneyball because we were playing this deal we called Moneyball Blackjack. <laughs> so... We started saying quotes, and we're having a good time with it. And right. people were either on board or not. Right. right. And so, you know, it just blackjack's fun that way. Right. But what is it about Moneyball that captures you? Because, like you said, you're not a baseball fan. Know, so, what I is don't... it? What do you What do you believe? Before I give my answer. Okay, I wrote down three things. Well, let me preface everything with it. There is an element of Brad Pitt to this, like. Let's be real. Like, there's Brad Pitt is just kind of captivating. He's a, he's a good looking dude. Like, he just he's there's certain there's De, he's Denzel. He's Tom Hanks. He's like there's certain guys. He's Tom Cruise. Like when they're on the screen, they they just kind of grab you. We were driving <laughs> we were driving home from Central City uh, this past weekend, and I don't know why, but the Shania Twain song on was <laughs> don't you don't impress, okay, so you're Brad- you don't impress me that much. So you're Brad Pitt. How about that? That doesn't impress me much. I turned to Amy. I said, it impresses me. <laughs> I said, I, said I, li- I like Brad Pitt. I'm like, I'm a happily married man with two kids in the back seat. And if he wants to go on a date, like I might just do it. Everything Brad Pitt's a part of impresses me. <laughs> what a so there's that. You said that impresses me. <laughs> it does. So if you have been the producer, when Shania Jerry's going, like, hold on, cut, hold on. Shania, I just want to let you know that impresses me. I'm like, who's another who's another name that we can substitute here? I mean, come on. It's like, we, so, Brad Pitt, make so it believable. So here. you're Ben Affleck. Right? It's like, it's like, I get it. You're Matt Damon's sidekick. You came out with some stuff. You went on to get air, but like that doesn't really impress me that much. But Brad Pitt, he impresses everybody at all times. Oh god, that's really funny. So yeah, there, really there's that factor. I've always said, imagine being Billy Bean and someone makes a movie about your life and they Brad Pitt is casted. Like imagine the Willie Clefcorn movie comes out and it's motherfucking Brad Pitt as Willie. Well, it has to be like that. I'm sorry, you can't do that. Like as much I love him, that's unrealistic. Well, like can you but, cast Alex Smith? No, that's but even that's like it works, but still. Okay, but hold on. Okay. So there's a Brad Pitt element of it. Like we have to like preface everything with that. There's a Brad Pitt element of it that is real. Like the cast, the cast is good. It's great because Jonah Hill's Jonah Hill's perfect good. for his his spot. But I how think about Chris Pratt as Hattieburg? Is amazing. Like, what he, a weird role he what plays. A, what this, a weird like, role. Passive. And who's the the even the 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 manager? Oh, it's Philip Seymour Hoffman. Philip Seymour Hoffman does a great job. He's great. Rest he, in peace. The, the, but the he's great. R.I.P. But he does, like, the beef between him and Billy, you can just, like, you're killing this team, Billy. Line of cards behind Billy. You traded Pena. 
but you're uh, killing this team, Billy. <laughs> you believe in this? Hundred uh, percent. Okay. So there's the Brad Pitt, element of, Brad Pitt element of it. There's there's a calmness to its tone and pacing that I think we got to get like just the the things that you don't really think about. Like there's a calmness to the movie and a pacing to the movie, and the music's good. That is very like puts you at ease. Yeah, I don't know me. much about movies, but that's Aaron Sorkin. Okay, there we go. Like so, I, I wrote down that. I I think the the big things though, the meat of it, like the healthy questioning of the status quo of asking why and asking is there a better way I think is something that is really good that is easy to get behind and then within that there is something about watching the quest of two people really mainly Billy but also Jonah Hill's character Pete is his name I think yeah Pete Pete watching two people take a leap go against the grain, get pushback, fight through it, and get rewarded is really enjoyable. 100%. What I, so that's how I, Brad Pitt element of it, there's a calmness and pacing to it that's great, but then the healthy questioning of is there a better way and why are we doing this, and then watching two people take a leap of faith and bet on themselves and really believe in what they're doing is enjoyable to watch. Well, how would you answer the question? I mean, I, I love the question. I love the movie. I also think that it's there's there's certain components that come to mind. You hit on some of them, but uh, think Sam Keller, Joe Gans, right? Like on paper, Sam Keller's the guy. Mm-hmm. Should have been the guy. But you know what? Culturally, maybe he wasn't. Right. Like maybe sometimes the things that you can, like ironically, the things that you can like measure aren't the, the solution, which kind of goes counter to... To Moneyball in some to ways. To Moneyball. Yeah. But what I think people like about Moneyball, at least what I like about Moneyball, is that everybody... First of all, everybody loves an underdog story. Th- yes. Should have wrote that. Right? Agreed. And so you have you have this idea that like all of these players are like the island of misfit players. Yeah. It's like Rudolph, the red-nosed yeah. reindeer. It's like the island of misfit toys. Nobody wants a Charlie in the box. But yes, right. well, there's probably a kid out there that could like a Charlie in the box. Mm-hmm. Like... The fact that they leverage Hatterberg and they leverage the idea that you want to buy runs and not wins is brilliant mm-hmm. because it allowed them to compete in an unfair game, as they say many times within right. that. So I love it from that reason. The other reason I think that people like it is that, and I see this in the work that we do, the business side of what we do is fun and people like it. Business is hollow. Right. Sports is passion and emotion. And somehow they've wrapped a business movie ah, into sports. Yeah, right. And so people can wrap their head around both those worlds colliding in the best way possible. Right. And so I think that, that that's what lends yeah. itself to that being really successful. They did a nice job. And this is the beauty of Hollywood and all this stuff. Like they made something boring like baseball analytics. Analytics. Like fucking really boring and what? And this spreadsheet, I'm looking at what now? And this is, you know, he gets on base, like, you know, like, but they, they, they were able to take that package it in to drama and like deliver it in a way that was enjoyable. Well, and they did it in a way that like, I I know. So 
the first first one of the first times I watched it. Second time I watched it, I watched it with Brandon Rigoni. Yeah, he came over to our old house on Williamsburg, and we basically split a bottle of Crown and watched Moneyball. And he was so enthralled with it. And you <laughs> and know, he, had he never seen? So he'd never you, seen it. Had, and this was not. I'd your, seen it the second time. Got okay, but he, but had, he, never, but he had never seen it, and he's a million oh, miles. Anybody that knows? I mean, Rigoni was a captain. You watch him run down the field once on special teams, and you know what this guy's all about. Yeah, I mean, Rigoni's one of the most so like amazing human beings I ever met. In my life. We watch this, and we're like blown away by it. And and from then he's like, "Hey, man, you want to get a beer and like watch Moneyball again?" I'm like, I don't know. It's but kinda, what, it just but there's a rewatchability to it that I don't I don't know. It just they're solving problems, right? And and the other thing too, aside from the fact that the cast is really good. I think it also speaks to being able to look deeper into uh, the sum, same thing with Matt Rule. It's the sum of the parts, right? right? He's like, go out with the team, spend some time with them. Right. He goes on the plane, he has a conversation with Justice. Hey, man, why is your manager charged for soda? Right. Well, like, does that matter in the scheme of things? You'd like to think that it doesn't, but human beings are historically petty. Right. I play for an organization that makes me pay a dollar for soda. Right. You want my full effort? Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. Pay for my drinks. Right. Right? Right. And the fact that he, and what I love about the movie too, is that Leadership 101, what changed everything is that eventually he had to immerse himself in the process. Right. It wasn't going to change because Hal wasn't going to allow it to change. So he, my favorite scene in the entire movie is when Justice is taking batting practice. Right. And he's like, wait, you think you're different? You think you're a big deal? And he's like, well, you're paying me $5 million a year, man. <laughs> yeah, so maybe so I, I am. He's like, nah, man. Yankees are paying half of that salary. Right. Right. That's how much they think of you. They're paying you to play against them. Right. And that was like, to me, the holy shit moment of that movie because it spoke to everything they were about. Right. You got to find every advantage monetarily to be able to compete in an unfair game. But, but you know what's good about that scene, too, is for as much as that movie was about the numbers they still needed that intangible quality of justice being a leader right you know what i'm saying so so it is that you're talking about this to title like the sum of everything they still needed that like they still it couldn't be just hollow numbers robots they still needed the people involved in the equation to buy into it you know right, right. and and that's where there's a good scene they don't they kind of like you know, when, when he's on the plane, Jonah Hill's on the plane, he's like, see, when you're getting your pitch, you're hitting this. When you're doing this, this, you know, like, so, but there, so there's a process of selling it. There's in the buying in and then they get in the winning streak and it's just, I don't know. I don't, that movie, I don't know what it is. It well, is it's- fucking just hypnotizing is what it is. Well, it's forever now. Wrapped into our identities. Yeah, because of Vegas. Which, which, by the way, we got to find our Moneyball Blackjack game again. I don't know if that... I, last time I was in Vegas, it wasn't there anymore, but we still got to find it. Nah. Doesn't mean we can't still give our Moneyball quotes. But I wanted to ask you about that, because I don't know if... Like, but you're... That, it's, it's, a, it's an unbelievable movie. Yeah. It, it, I've, I mean, I bet I've seen it 20 times. Yes. And if it's on the night, I'm like, fuck. All right. It's like Shawshank. It's like Forrest Gump. It's like whatever, like where you just kind of like, if it's on and you give it like a minute, you're done. Well, I also like the idea of like even early in the movie where they're at Shapiro's office of the Indians and Billy recognizes that like, 
who is this Who's guy? guy? Who's this guy that's right. influencing things? Because he shouldn't have so much influence on right. it. And then the ability to ask the question, to go out into the parking lot, to obtain the data, and then trade for him, right. and go all in on a belief. Right. It's, like, it's to just me, a, to me, that's inspiring. What everybody it, yeah. wants to do but doesn't allow themselves to do. Agree. And that's probably why it's it's such a hit. What what is okay? Uh, another show that we both have loved. You loved it before I did. Was Ted Lasso. What now? Full disclosure for people: you haven't finished it yet. You got like three or four episodes left, but I feel like we can talk about it without getting into like this. the The lessons from the show don't have a ton to do with like how the show ends necessarily. But what 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 are the lessons from the show to you? As you watched Ted Lasso, you were in on that show from like the jump. What what is it to you? What is it about that show? Because obviously that show has fucking captivated people. It's it's hard to find a show. I mean, that's not true. I mean, there's Yellowstone. There's some other stuff that's like you can still capture the bandwidth of mass population. It's hard to do right now. Stranger Things did there's it. A, there's uh, a million different yeah, options, right? right? But it's hard to do. And Ted Lasso obviously did that. Let me ask you a question. When when I said, "Hey, check this show out," and you watched, say, the first three episodes, why did you keep watching? Well, I think one of the first things I thought it was like, wow, this show, it's like if someone went into your brain, your brain, I'm talking to Will, like, and created a show, they would have created Ted Lasso. <laughs> it's soccer, it's funny, it's deep, it's heartfelt, it's emotional, it's everything. That's you. So the, when I first started watching it, I was like, you know, when you know your friend, I'm like, well, this is like the most Willie Clefcorn move or show I've ever seen in my life here. But, uh, why did I keep watching? I mean, it's it, first of all, it's funny, but there was a there was an emotional human element to it, a rawness to it, a vulnerability, a willingness to be vulnerable to it that drew me in yeah. initially. And I would say that that didn't go away, and that just catapulted, and that and that just catapulted me straight through it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would think, I mean, I think they they. That show really tried to normalize like mental health in some ways, and just a lot, and, and all that encompasses. For sure, I, you know, I I, <clears throat> I think there's a there's a, a number of things that lended at least myself to liking it, but why it was super successful. You know, one is I think people have an appetite for positivity and for whatever reason mainstream media or just television shows or movies tend to focus on the three of the four core emotions that aren't happiness so it's like fear anger sadness they know how, people aren't stupid when they know how to make money they cap they capitalize on an emotion but ted ted lasso why those Negative emotions were like woven into the humanity of how people are. The it was a very happy, upbeat show. Mm -hmm. I think people are super eager for that. Yeah, and they did it in a way that lended itself to like a mass audience. Right. And so that's what that's what appealed to me. Um, the other thing that appealed to me, to your point, is its leadership on love and not fear. Mm -hmm. It's leadership on patience and understanding and not authoritarianism. And so, and I think that, by the way, I think that that's what is most productive. I also think that's where the world's going. Right. So to have a show 
that, you know, was able to, and a character that was able to see the inherent faults of a Jamie Tart, mm-hmm. but also be self-aware enough to see how his environment and his parents played in him being who he is and allowing an environment for him to foster and evolve and grow for something that's going to serve him and humanity better is just like, that's the way that it should be. Right. And so having Ted Lasso as that coach is think is the proverbial coach that everybody wishes they had. Yes. Yes. And I can tell you like the number of leaders, bosses, coaches that people have had that have been transcendent in their lives, almost exclusively less than five fingers. Right. And so people are eager for that. They want that. Right. Yeah. They're because yeah, one of the things I wrote down was like when you what you just kind of said was like when you do everything from a place of love and positivity, that typically wins out. In time. In time. Maybe not in the, and that was the beauty of the show. Ted, I mean, it didn't it didn't work out initially. You the, know the arc. The arc of it, you know, but it it it, it ends up working out. Um but yeah, I think there's there's a but but at the same time, what the beauty of that show is though is like you know, you also can't suppress and hide how you really feel. That's what I love about it too, is like they made this character in Ted who is just like, Hey boss, you know, hey, what's up now? What all right, we got three questions for you, you know, like where he is always happy, always positive, always optimistic, always great to everybody but he clearly is fighting his own shit and it would have done that character and a disservice to not have the duality of him so i was glad that they made ted all of those things you, you know what i'm saying for sure like, well, that's that's the way that it had to work right because right. the other thing that i think of when i think of ted lasso is it did a really good job of in a very overt but also at the same time subtle way pointing out that everybody's got their shit. Yes. Right. And I think maybe an underrated character of the entire series is the therapist, Sharon. Mm -hmm. Right. She's a therapist. Right. She's got her own shit to work through a lot of it. Right. And that's just humanity at its core. Right. And I remember having conversations with people that like lawyer friends and they're like, you know, you like to think of judges as right. Yeah. By the book objective, they're doing their shit. Right. It's like, that's not the case. They're humans. Right. Right. And this Ted Lasso pointed that out. It's like everybody's got their shit. If you can be patient enough and realize that people are human, it'll all work out in the end. But and that's something that I think is right now is super desperately needed. Right. But that would be, you know, if you're a coach somewhere watching Ted Lasso, I mean, you can watch it and be like, okay, now are there elements of Ted Lasso that are it's a fucking TV show and it does like yeah, that aren't going to necessarily completely apply to Matt Rule and what he's doing. But, like, at the same time, I don't know. Like, there's also a thought of, like, you put Ted Lasso. And I kind of mean this. And also here, You put Ted Lasso. Instead of hiring Bill Callahan in 2004, you hire Ted Lasso. Does Nebraska have the same? Like, what are the next 20 years look like? I mean, I feel like when you have someone that is about those things, like... Now, now again, you needed Nate the Great, and you needed Roy Kent, and you needed like you you still needed people that knew what the fuck offsides were and that and that whatever. But like, there's an element of like 
it shows you that every every action matters, every interaction matters, how you treat people matters, how you connect with people matters, like all that stuff greatly impacts the end result. And I'm not saying necessarily Bill Callahan or Bo Pelini or Mike Riley or whatever didn't do all that, but I think like Ted Lasso clearly shows that like that stuff makes a difference. Yeah, it's, ne- it's never just one thing. Right, it's a lot of different things. Right, but it, but again, coming back to the 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 stuff that I do on a day in day out basis, it's like it's pretty interesting when you look at like the experience overall. And we like to measure a thing called discretionary effort, which is how much effort am I going to give above and beyond because you're my coach. Well, if you map those and correlate those to questions that are asked, Ted Lasso shows up in a lot of them. Mm-hmm. I believe that this person cares about me as a person, not just a player. I believe that when things get stressful, my coach is at their best, right? Like he exhibited behavioral traits that lend themselves to good relationships and good humanity. Right. And that's your equity. That's your buy-in. And that's hard. That's hard for a society, myself included, because I'm a little bit of a hypocrite. I, I speak out of both sides of my mouth. Whereas like growing up in the late 90s, like in high school, for example, there was still a level of like, Listen, man, this is the way we do it. Get on board yeah, or you're out. And being a coach is not an easy position. There is right. a level of like you got to make tough decisions. There is. There is like right? a non hierarchy. Line there's a hierarchy of, for yeah. a reason. Right. But the pro- where that starts to like go away now in 2023 is that like every- everything's hyper individualized. And you can't get away with tactics that you right. used to get away with because people will film it and you'll get fired. And I'm not even sure that those tactics were the right things to do in the first place. In the first place, because yeah. if you go back and look at guys like uh, Patton or Lombard, uh, you know, General, General Patton yeah. or yeah. Vince Lombardi, like leaders that have this nostalgia, like they love their people mm-hmm. to death. And so it's just coming full circle is yeah. all that it is. And I think that it caught it caught a market. Yeah, uh, and so- soccer is also a market that's super ripe for a lot of different reasons in America. Which sure, I don't, I don't think hurt the cause. Probably not, but yeah, I mean, because it it's even and I, as I speak out of both sides of my mouth, like even like there is an element of coaching though that like there is like standards, you know, that you have to be willing to uphold. But like you can you can be both. Sometimes we think we have to be one thing. And that all the time, like you can be the, the hard ass that's like here, there, there's an expectation level. And if you're not going to meet it, then, right. then we're going to have to make some tough decisions, but you can also have some of the emotional connectivity that, that someone like Ted Lasso. But I guess, it, but I guess the way that I see that is like, if I'm a coach and let's say, let me think of an appropriate example, you have a running back that's not hitting the hole, right? Right. They're not hitting the hole the way that they should. And I've never coached football, so I'm kind of talking out of my ass here. But I also think it matters. Mm-hmm. What I, maybe it, they want to bounce it outside. It, you're you right. Know, if like, I'm yeah. a coach, they don't trust their I'm not going to come in and be like, hey, what are you doing? Hit the goddamn hole. Like, that's the way that it's in. Hit the yeah. hole. What I want to understand is like, why? Like, why are you hesitant in this situation? Right. And I can't ask that question and get a legitimate response unless I have a relationship with that person. Right. Because there's and something that's blocking here's, that happening. And here's the most challenging part about football with that. There's so many. Is there's, It's just a numbers game. That's why you have to coach your assistant coaches. That, that's where, that, and that's where I think Rule could be pretty good. Is that he's pretty? he seems like he is 
that guy where he's going to like the co- the the coaching staff is going to be an extension of him but it's much what you're ta- what you're saying I'm not saying you're not wrong like you're right like that's much easier to do when you have 12 guys on a basketball team it's harder when you got 100 dudes on a football team to connect to everybody but you that doesn't mean you can't try no doubt and that's but but I think that that's top down leadership at its finest and each position coach has maybe 12 guys in their room you can build that connection with those 12 guys you know i, I think that that's the only way that you can do it right and then this is especially nowadays like not just say i mean one of the like most old the most played out like i hope people understand like every generation has thought the younger generation is fuck is is doomed this is i mean like starting in like the 40s and the 50s are like oh yeah these kids today just don't get it. Like every generation has thought that. Even for like us, we think we get it. Do you realize that our parents thought we didn't get it? Right. Well, there's a re- there's a reason like, why like the movie at one time Footloose worked. Right. Right. It was like dancing. Right. Yeah, right. Now it's like dancing with clothes on. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But you, everybody thinks that they're like that generation of kids. They don't get it. But I do think because of a confluence of things over the course of time with social media and different stuff, like this is the most, this is, this is a, like whether you like to admit it or not, growing up with social media and with all that, like it's going to inherently change kind of society and culture, right? Undoubtedly. To the point where it is going to impact the individuals within said society and culture. So I do think... Kids are no less tough or not today. They just deal with things that people didn't have to deal with 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. So I do think because of that, a certain kind of coach reaches those people. And I think Rule has that ability to understand, like, to, to to be that, you know? Seems to be the case. I mean, think of it, think of it this way. Like, if you were a player under a coach in 1995 or a student in a classroom or a, a business employee. It doesn't really matter. Right. Right. And somebody has worked their, uh, their butt off to ascend to a level of leadership. So by design, the, the leader has power by title, but also has power by information. Mm. Right. That matters. So right. if, if you want to challenge thought in order to challenge thought, you either have to like, Go through a shitload of experience, or you gotta like bike to the library and figure out why this person's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's like I can come up with a lot of reasons to talk right. myself out of why they're wrong and just say, well, they probably know they've done this yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? right. And now it's like I'm gonna question I'm inherently gonna question everything because I can. Right. I have access to unlimited information from people that are likely smarter than you and more entertaining than you. Right. At in my pocket. In my pocket right now. So like the value that you bring to me as a coach isn't necessarily your expertise in how to teach me X's and O's. I've been learning that shit since I was six. What do you know about me? And and I agree with everything you said. I agree wholeheartedly with that. And you are battling noise because of what's in your pocket. Like the amount of voices you could hear, period, were so limited in 1992 
compared to 2022. So now we're getting into like woke stuff. The reason why people are so easily offended right now is because Tommy in Jersey doesn't agree with me and he has a platform that can scream at me. Right. But when you wouldn't have heard, you never would have heard of it. Right. And now everybody can be an expert on everything. And like, while everybody deserves their voice to be heard, not everybody deserves a voice. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just think it's, it's hard thing to navigate when you were just getting, you, you, you can get, so many opinions and so many different thoughts on what you should do and what they think of you and this and that or whatever. Like that's hard to sift through. Well, how did you, how did did you handle that? How did you internalize that when you like legit became mainstream, mostly at 1620? Yeah. Right. It's like you have thoughts, opinions, beliefs that are your own. And then you would get people like, Oh, crushing me, crushing you. It's like you, you're human. Oh, it was hard. I mean, it was it, it. It's just like anything else. You learn to deal with it better. Um, Do you think about it today? No. Like, does it? Does it like? Uh, even- no, that's a lie. I mean, yeah, I'm sure. Like right now, if I were to, I post something, and like if someone listens to this pod, it's like Nick, you're a fucking idiot. Da da da. <laughs> I'm not gonna act like I don't hear that. My first thought is probably laugh at it. Right. Um. But I think we're all being a little naive to be like, or being a little uh, disingenuous. Be like, I, I, you know, the I truly don't care person is like, ah, you on some level you care. It's just how much what you do with that, like what you do with it as it filters through your mind and everything. But you just you just learn to deal with it better. I mean, and you just become more sure of who you are. Right. So I think that's the hardest part. Is like, I know when I was like. uh you know, when you're 18, 19, 20, 22, th- those are the formative years where you're figuring out, like, who the fuck am I? Right. Who am I? Right. Well, I think that, too, like, I mean, it's starting to infiltrate itself into high school sports, right? I mean, I'm yeah. sure your brother has dealt with this as a high school basketball coach. But, like, opening up things, portal in college or otherwise, it's like you can make – not only is there noise, it's like I have unlimited options. Right. And lots of times you just don't know necessarily even why you're making the option. And to me, the one of the biggest inherent advantages that programs have right now is through coaches that want to build super strong relationships. Right. Right. And not view people as a commodity. Right. Because everybody wants to win. Don't get me wrong. I'm competitive as the next person. Sure. I want to win. Right. But at the same time, like there's lots of things that sport lends itself to that's way bigger than how you ended your season. Right. So if you get somebody that's fully vested in you, that wants to set you up for success, not just in Memorial stadium, but like 20 years from now when you're selling insurance, right? Like that matters. And you're going to feel that if you transfer to Florida Atlantic and you're like, I don't got it. Yeah. 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 It's uh. It, it's a confluence of things, of options and information and voices that make it hard. And if you don't, as like like you're saying, like if you don't build that, like the one thing you have that is the the silver bullet through all that is if you build a personal relationship with that person. 100%. Like have, right? you, like, have you, well, I mean, your kids are just getting like kind of old enough to entering right. youth sports, club sports, Moneyball, Michael Lewis. He wrote a book, or an audible book, and it's called Playing to Win. And it's basically his documentation of his daughter's experience coming up playing youth softball. Right. And how unhealthy the landscape is in youth athletics or just athletics, period. Right. 
And it was super important for me to, to listen to because it sh- it's helped shape my expectations of what I want from our kids from athletics. I want them to be challenged. I want them to grow. I want them to have a coach that like recognizes their weakness but celebrates their successes mm-hmm. and have an ecosystem that allows them to thrive. Right. I'm going to choose that over some form of el- perceived elite program. Right. That's interesting. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, I can't, like, I wish I had a way to build off of that that is better said than that, but that is perfectly said. And it's like, you know, so many of these kids, I mean, how, how many of these kids, how many of these kids are going to go on to play pro sports? Like 1%? Right. So you better get something out of it that isn't the end result of that. Right. Because that's just not realistic in all reality, statistically speaking. So everything's predicated on wins and losses. That's tough when there's one team that wins it all every year. Right. God, that's good. That's profound. So you better better fucking figure out how to get something more out of that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And as a a fan base, nine and three looks pretty good right now. Yes, it does. When when a couple years ago, I won the case. No. So everything, there's a, you know, it ebbs and flows and it changes. But yeah, that's interesting. That is interesting. Willie Clefcorn. (laughs) I'm getting texts from my wife that she's got to go. So that means I got to go. And that beer's done. So we timed it up perfectly. That means I got to go. That means you got to go. I got to go. You got to go. We got to go. Okay. What are you doing for the fourth? Fucking not in moonlight at Minnesota, which sucks. You know, I tell you, like, I love the fact that I spend time with my family on the fourth. But the fact that I want to be with you. We used to have our fourth. Oh, God. We used to have it, man. We had it all. And then we had kids. America, man. It's a change in place. (laughs) Maybe we'll get it back. This that is, doesn't mean it's in perpetuity. This like we is can get not it back. the America that I remember. This is, hey, this is we got to get it back. Okay, we'll get it back. You understand? Until ne- until next time. Until next time, let's drink the rest of these Miller Lights and get out of here. All right, pal. I right. appreciate you. A heard at Sports Network production.